This is Brian Bailey from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney from Windermere, Florida. We are your guides to this episode of In the Hunt. We are going to bring clarity to this complex game of golf and help you reach your next level of performance. So if you're ready to step up your game, join us on the hunt. Welcome to this week's episode of In the Hunt. This is Brian Bailey here. Uh, welcome you back in the 2021 season. Uh, we took a good month off to relax. Actually, college season's getting going, and we've just been chasing our tails, making sure the college teams are up and running. Uh, so we took the month of January off to save our sanity, but now we're back. It's February. Mark, what's going on? Anything exciting? Yeah, I mean, basically what you said, uh, December was really busy with lessons. January was actually really busy, but a lot of college kids have gone back to school now. Seasons are cranking back up, um, but still really busy out on the putting green, actually giving lessons in addition to a lot of Game Forge um, stuff spooling up as the season spool, uh, spools up. So it's been it's been good. It's been busy, but the, uh, the weather here has been perfect, um, which means that we're outside a lot. Yeah, that's, that's nice. I know uh, the weather up here in Virginia hasn't been bad, but it's it's a little on the frigid side right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, now that's frigid Virginia, and not bad don't go together. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's chilly. It's it's not all I'm, it's it can get worse. So it's OK. Uh, now it's the start of the new year. Is there any good? Do you have any New Year's resolutions or goals for this year that you want to share with anybody? Oh, geez, you would put me on the spot like that. Um uh, no, I don't have any official New Year's resolutions. No, nice. I mean, I do, I do. I mean, I do have you know professional goals and things like that, but I don't have any like formal resolutions that nice. you know are any different than they have been the last ten years that I haven't kept. Well, what <laughs> Drink I found work, beer. What I find works the best is make a resolution that you can solve in a day and just wait till December thirty first. That's a great idea. Because <laughs> then you you nail it every year and you're like, I, I totally solved my resolution. <laughs> Don't drink beer on New Year's Eve. There. Done. Ooh, you're going to lose that one, too. You just drink whiskey. That's probably, no, I didn't say <laughs> don't drink. I said don't drink beer. That's right. <laughs> it's a very big difference. <laughs> All right, very good. So uh, today's episode, we uh, first off, I want to thank everybody. Uh, we put out a, a questionnaire of different questions of uh, what the viewers want to listen to or want to hear more about this year. And I probably got... 15, 20 good, good responses and a couple not so good. And you know who you are and I'm ashamed of you, but that's okay. Um, so from the good responses, we'll start weaving those in throughout the season. Um, today's episode, we're going to call lessons from the lesson box or, you know, basically what, what we learn as we give lessons. I know Mark's a lot busier than I, but uh, you know, my little putting green up here in Charlottesville in between snowstorms, um, I've been able to get a couple players out there. So let's kind of take, take a look at, you know, what are some of the cool things? Yeah, I think the neat thing as a coach is we learn just as much as players. And every time we teach, there's always something different, something about the player we learn about, or maybe just something about teaching or ourselves and the way we present stuff. So this is kind of what this podcast is going to be about. So Mark, you want to start us off on a lesson that you learned from a lesson? Yes, my lessons from lessons. Uh, the first one I did a few days ago with a tour player, very good uh, putter, tour player, um, whose putting had um, degraded a little bit last season. And so we got in there, and the first thing we always do is just check fundamentals. Just is something different? Is your grip different? Is your setup different? You know what's going on to cause kind of a, de- a degradation that we didn't expect. Um, <laughs> it turns out that this player's um, ball position was a little farther back than normal. Like her, 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 her eyes 
or the same position kind of over the ball, but the ball's back just a just a nudge, like half a ball or so, three quarters of the ball back. All right, so why is that a problem? Because typically, if you, if the ball position moves forward or back, it's going to change her perceived aim, right? And so in her case, ball position moved back a little bit, which had her perceiving her aim as being more right, which made her aim more left. Okay, so now we have a problem where she's, because the ball position changed, her aim switched left. So if she read it well and hit a good putt, it would miss left. So now it's encouraging her to hit a block, right? It's encouraging her to go inside out or open the face. So just from a little bit of a change in the ball position, it cascaded problems into the whole rest of her putting game and was actually encouraging her to hit bad mechanical putts rather than good mechanical putts. And the fix was as simple as getting the ball back to where it should be which was a nudge more forward. And then suddenly it was, it was just right back where it was supposed to be. So the, the lesson there was, you know, and I always harp on fundamentals and say, you know, let's always make sure the fundamentals are sound before we start digging into some bizarre area of whatever. Um, set up, grip, read, alignment, things like that. Make sure they're always week in and week out in a sound place. Otherwise, the whole system starts to fall apart. Uh, and that's what happened. A lot of times as a player, you don't know it because that can change slowly over weeks and months. But as a coach, if you haven't seen a player in a few months and you look at it, you're like, whoa, that looks different. Um, that's kind of why as a, as a good competitive player, you need a second set of eyes who's really knows your game, who can spot little changes immediately that you can't, that you're not aware of yourself. No, I think that's great advice. And uh, same thing. I have a bunch of players I work with that I don't see them as nearly as much as I'd like to. They're about gallivanting around the world playing golf. But the, I think a lot of the times a problem really is, and I don't travel, you know. So the problem is, is when they when they show up and you don't see them for multiple months, um, you know, I always say it's the Band-Aid effect, right? So they go to the first tournament, everything's great. They've been working on it, it works great. Week two, they they wake up with a kink in their neck. They, they reposition, you know, reposition a head position. They might move their hands. Oh, I'm missing a little bit this. I'll just make a small adjustment with the face. Oh, they're all going in again. It's, you know, I've just created a new standard. Two weeks later, something else happens. Now I create another little, little fix, another little Band-Aid. You know, after six, eight weeks of little Band-Aids, they come back to you and they're like, why, why aren't I making putts? <laughs> and you're like, well, what, yeah. happened to the, what happened to the golfer that left here? So I think... You know, to me as a coach, I always tell players it's 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 really important to always set up times during the week to create fundamentals and train and make sure those pieces are right. Because when you come back to me in eight weeks, I don't want to get you back to standard. I want to start improving upon standard. And the problem is if I don't see you over long periods and things are changing and you're not disciplined enough as an athlete or you're doing what you need to do to make sure that these pieces are not changing, all we do is we, we get you back to standard. And to me, that's a waste of time and coaching because I'm just getting you back to where you were eight weeks ago, which might be great, but you know, what if we can make you a little bit better and make a little bit more money and, and everything works out a little bit better. So I think that that fundamental component is a piece that, you know, it's, it's not always the sexiest thing to teach and it's not the most fun to practice, but it's definitely, a, you've got to pay attention to them. It's a reason that uh, it's kind of a fundamental or a building block inside the putting stroke. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get asked this question a lot of times and somebody comes and takes their first lesson and they say, well, how often should I come see you? Is it weekly? Is it monthly? Is it once a year, twice a year? And in my experience, what I see is that if I don't see a player for more than 30 days, six weeks maximum, you're always rewinding and starting kind of from beginning again. Like you're not, you're not continuing to shave away the, the, the edges and make it better and better, but you're, you're hitting rewind and going, okay, well, we did this last time, but 
it's still a problem or it was good last time, but it's crept back to being a problem. So let's rewind, fix that again. See you later. So I, I like to see 30 days maximum. I like to see, which we don't always get, especially when people are on tour, you know, they're, they're out a lot when they're in college. It's very, very hard to see college players, you know, every 30 days, if not impossible because they're at school. Um, but, but there's no question that I don't care what level of play you, you are, your fundamentals w- will migrate around, maybe degrade here and there over time. And I don't care how aware you are of it. It just happens. It happens with every player I've ever worked with in my life. You don't see him for two or three months and you come back and go, what are you doing? Why did you change? I didn't change. No, you de- Well, it's different. So you might not have changed on purpose, but it's different. That's right. Let's get what, it back to where we want it. <laughs> what, what did you do to that player that left here eight weeks ago? <laughs> yeah. And then once in a while they leave after and they come back eight weeks later and they're like, well, yeah, I, I just decided to, you know, totally change my grip or totally change this. And you're like, okay, well, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought we had a plan here. What's happening? <laughs> well, you know, plans change. <laughs> plans change. So that, that can be tough for sure. What is, Brian, what is your uh, – when's the last time you gave a lesson, actually? I know it's, uh, it's it was a couple weeks ago. I had three juniors come rolling through in consecutive days, and, and it was really funny. One day it was started at 40 degrees. It wasn't bad. It was sunny. I looked over her shoulder, and I looked at the right where the mountain is, and it just – you couldn't see it anymore. And about oh four minutes later, this wall of white comes. We got this weird snow shower. We just out of the blue, like literally whited us out for about – five minutes and then it was sunny and 40 again it was bizarre but it was kind of cool (laughs) interesting kind of (laughs) cool you know that's what we do here charlesville weather changes (laughs) every five minutes uh i I think to me uh, i had two good juniors in uh both actually going to play college golf uh i think the most interesting piece i took from one of the lessons was had a player that i don't make enough short putts okay great so what's what seems to be the problem uh, we did some start line assessments right out the gate and just kept rolling it right down our line. We did a little bit of speed tests, could control speed, five feet, 10 feet. We, we kind of incremented in between there. And I looked at her and I go, well, that's two legs of the stool. What's the third? And she just kind of looked at me like, I don't know. And I'm like, <laughs> well, probably a read issue. And uh, if you're missing she, short putts, you're probably yeah, not reading it real well. She wasn't really reading putts very well, uh, hardly at all. Um, I can't say she she said she learned aim point in the past and really didn't like it, whatever that's worth. So we created a modified system for her. Uh, we put her in the, you know, on the short putt inside of six feet. We got her to feel in that middle and just say, is it a little bit average or a lot? And then we kind of adjusted uh, aiming off of that just to kind of as a Trojan horse to get her into aim point. I hope she's not listening to this. Uh, And and the really fascinating part is she went on and just really didn't miss a putt. Um, So dad was sitting over there kind of laughing. Uh, But for her, she didn't, for whatever reason, she told me she couldn't feel uh, putts. But when we got in there and I just said, tell me is a little bit average or a lot. Um, She had no problem discerning what that was. And her confidence level went up and she started making putts. And I thought it was just really interesting on the sheer fact that she struggled. I, I obviously showed her where her struggle was and the pushback from the player of saying, I don't want to do that. Um, and even though I was showing them that they were making more and more putts, I thought was quite enlightening uh, as a coach. And then also as a coach, I know my work's cut out for me to get her into aim point. 
and get get her making more putts. And and she's a young junior out of the state of Virginia. You know, she's already committed to a school in the South. I think she's got three more years. So I got plenty of time to teach her aim point. But it, I thought it was just really fascinating that this player was really set at a young age that, you know, and I showed her a way to get better and to get better fast. And she really pushed across it. So also for me as a coach, what did I do? Now I, I basically email her and send text messages all the time going, show me a video of you going in the middle feeling and tell me what you feel and put it. So I'm holding her accountable by kind of hitting her up on the, on the, on the phone, just making sure that she's doing what she needs to do to feel it. And her dad wrote me two days ago and he goes, she is on short putts using feels and her confidence and her putting has gotten better inside of six feet. So it was a successful lesson, but the pushback I thought was kind of interesting. And I'm sure uh, you oh, I've heard your, every type of pushback you can imagine. I was about to say you and your it's never logical. It's never, it's never because they're not making enough putts with it. It's always a comfort thing, or my friends didn't do it, or my dad doesn't like it, or I'm not used to it. But it's never because oh, I don't putt as well when I do it. It's never, ever, ever that because you either putt the same or you putt better with aim point. Like nobody yeah. gets worse with it. But it's always just that that ethereal. How do you get a player comfortable? Because we all know the better a player is, the less comfortable they are, the less likely they are to keep doing something. So you got to get them comfortable quickly. No, I agree. And I, I think it, it, it's just interesting because, you know, sometimes you can show them how they're going to get better, show what's going on, really pinpoint target areas. And then, like I said, I said, you don't have to do aim point. That's fine. But what are you going to do? Like, how are we going to yeah. improve this? Yeah. And, and, and she had no answer. Well, I had I I had the exact same thing with a with a recent lesson too, where somebody uh, we're working on some speed and mechanics, but um, uh, he didn't do aim point, and I was like, okay, that's fine, but let's go test your reads and misread fifty percent of his putts badly inside ten feet. I'm not talking yeah. about twenty footers; I'm talking about short putts and short long long short putts. Um, full fifty percent had no chance to even hit the hole based on the read, and then so you're already knocking yourself, you're already throwing out half your putts right off the top where you're just not going to make them. And I said, so if you don't want to do aim point, it's, it's your choice for whatever reason. I never really got a reason why I didn't do it. I said, but you cannot play at your level misreading that many putts. You, you can't yeah. like you, you can use whatever method you want. And I said, and frankly, I don't know any other method to teach you because I don't know any other way to teach reading greens. And frankly, there really isn't that's reliable other than, just do it a lot, which, which is sucky. And that's not reliable. And look at the overall lay and that's sucky. You know, all the old methods suck. Sorry. You can tell I'm a little jaded on them because I tried them for a long time. That's why I was led to create aim point because the old methods were bad, <laughs> you know, but my, my answer was, listen, it's your game. It's your call, but what you're doing isn't good enough. So you need it. You need an alternative and I'll, I can give you one alternative in aim point. You can try to find another one. Good luck, but you can't proceed doing what you're doing and whatever that discomfort level is it's sometimes it's hard to get it out of the player like you don't always know why they're against it they just go well you know i, I tried it once eight years ago when i was 12 yeah you're like okay <laughs> that's it <laughs> reminds me a lot of the game forge stories we'll have to do a game forge stories from coaches and players and some of them right some of the myths that they tell us that they believe in on what the data says but that'll be a completely different lesson lessons totally. from game forge lessons <laughs> yes i have a i have a few of those myself so nope. do, you, do you have another lesson story for us um yeah yeah another lesson story um worked a pj tour player today 
Um, interestingly enough, and I know we've touched on this in the past because actually I talked to somebody else today who was talked about our past podcast about um, using the charts, you know, the, the break charts kind of inside 10, 15 feet where it'll say, you know, nine feet, 2%, stimp 11, play, whatever, 10.5 inches, whatever it is. Um, and I, I, even though I created the chart, I'm not a big fan of them. I don't, I don't mind them three, four, five, maybe six feet, but I don't like them any farther than that. And, you know, the reason I don't like it is because you've got to get the distance exactly right, the stimp exactly right, the slope exactly right. And then you still have to adjust for uphill, downhill. So you've got all these variables that you're trying to maneuver. Um, but more than that, and this is what I told the player, I said, more than that, I don't see, when I see players using this, overusing this chart, they never tend to putt as well in that seven to 10 foot range, seven to 12 feet. So our long par saves. And, and I actually went on the game forge um, before our lesson, I looked up three players tour, all PGA tour players who I know use that chart. And all three of them had exactly the same dip from seven to 12 feet where they were good up to six feet. They dipped seven to 12 and they were back up to being pretty good outside 13 feet. And that's the rain, the long short butts, the range that were using the chart. And I go, I go, so if nothing else, the data says all y'all guys who I know are using it have the, have the exact same profile. We were underperforming in that range. And we, you know, we kind of had to go into the, the process of, well, why is that? Well, if you think you're at seven feet and you're really at eight feet and it's 3% and you think it's 22 inches, it's really 26 inches. Guess what? You've missed the hole completely because you're one foot off on your, on your line, on your distance. Now you add a little downhill on that. Now you're even more off. And I said, the nice thing about the fingers, the fingers create a launch angle, which scales with exactly what distance you are from the hole. It doesn't care if you get your number right because it's, it's a launch angle. So you take that whole, um, that whole problem of getting that wrong, that whole uh, inaccuracy out of, out of the equation. It's gone. All you gotta do is get your slope. You got yeah, you gotta adjust a little bit for downhill with arm bend. Um, but people who do aim point express starting at six, seven feet, tend to perform really well. And people who use the numbers up to 12 feet tend to underperform. Um, and I, I was really surprised when I looked at the map, the chart of these three guys, I was like, wow, they all look identical, which it's is all of, I need to know. Is that I know it's only three people, but it's three people on the same tour using the same method. And they all had, they all underperformed seven to 12. It's kind of funny. If you think about it, it actually goes back to our chart days inside Aimpoint. And for, for you aim pointers out there that have been doing this for a while, it was the same issue, right? The, the chart read was very accurate, but you had to know your angle. You had to actually know what 24 inches looked like. Uh, and you actually, you know, and those were some of the biggest drawbacks I had with players. Is like, I don't know what two feet looks like. Like with fingers, you paint it, you can pick a point and go. So I think it's kind of funny that the, the, the system in the beginning that people said was way too complex, way too hard. We got people trying to push people back into that way too complex, way too hard system. Uh, well, it's funny. I always was trying to talk people into the charts in the old days, and now I'm spending all my time trying to talk people out of the charts. Like it's it, like it's just the whole industry is flipped to being way over analytical. I think with green reading, in the old days they're like, I can't possibly read a putt with all them numbers on it. I just got to go feel it and hit it. Now they're like. I will refuse to even hit the putt until I've looked at the green book and, and match slopes and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, wow, has that changed a lot in 10 years? <laughs> They're just a bunch of contrarians out there now. Bunch of contrarians. It, it was way too hard. Now it's gotten too easy. We got to make it hard again. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like, well, how can it possibly rewrite? Don't I want a specific number? I was like, yeah, if you can get four or five inputs exactly right, you'll get a very good number. You're you want to be getting four or five inputs right 30 times around. <laughs> that's right and, uh, 
Yeah, no, I think it's fun. And, uh, you know, lessons of lessons. I, I have my the, the greatest lesson maker on earth right now, which is my son. Um, so we, we work probably four to five days a week on this golf game. Uh, when it's really cold, we're inside in the putting platform. When it's uh, above 40, uh, we're out in the yard. We've got a little mini range at about a 60-yard shot, 55, 60-yard shot max. And uh, we, we've been doing a lot of short game work, and i got to thank Gareth McShay. I'll give him a shout-out in Ireland. He's my, my coach for my son because that way I can make him the bad guy and I don't have to be the bad guy. Uh, but, but I think it's been really exciting and, and just watching how a young player learns. I know Mark and I are both kind of in the same boat. We're, we're used to dealing with high-end players where you're, you're working with marginals. I'm trying to just make it 1% better here, 2% better here, maybe change a concept, but not really building something um, from the ground up. So with my son in short game and full swing, um, I've learned tons of lessons. And I think kind of what you talked about uh, in your first lesson with the touring professional is how important um, fundamentals are when, when my son hits it well his fundamentals, he's got four of them, you know, he's got stance, he's got grip, he's got uh, swing around his tag. So he stays fairly centered because he wants to sway. And, and, uh, and also now he's got only swing as fast as I can control um, where I can still kind of make the motion that I need to. So I, again, I think it's funny, you know, that you telling your story about, you know, here's an elite tour player having this issue. And I'm like, my, you know, 12 year old son is having the same concept of he's trying to get where he's hitting it hard, hitting it far. And he wants this end point. I want to be this, but he's, you know, he's willing to run past some of the building blocks, try to get there. And it, I think it's funny. It's golf in general. I think it's, we as humans and definitely Americans, like fast food world, we want it now, 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 now. I think yeah. again, it's, it's understanding that component of, you know, fundamentals build towards a goal and we've got to keep circling back to that so how, how do you with a lot of your players when you when you work when you see them and you don't work for them long you know what are some of the tricks or what are some of the fundamental things that you really emphasize and any cool tricks that you can give to a player or a coach on how to implement that in the system a little better well the hard thing <coughs> so the hard thing for for some players for for most competitive players is their away or on the road a lot and they've got to be able to monitor their fundamentals by themselves like if you're on tour you've got a caddy that might be able to help but college players are kind of largely on their own for whatever their own fundamentals are um but what i like to do is when that when they get off so let's say their ball position gets off um go kind of one extreme to the other and and so for for this player i was talking about i was like okay the ball's farther back how does it look like it's aimed it looks like it's aimed right edge now we slide the ball forward a ball or two what's it look like now it looks like it's outside left now let's go back in the middle what's it look like it looks like it's straight <clears throat> and so just being able to move move that position and say you need to understand the effect of this ball changing first of all it matters for your aim you know you can just sit here and we can show you really quickly it's moving two three degrees left and right based on rolling that ball up and back two balls so you need to understand the cause and effect have correct concepts on that then you need some method other than a pair of eyes on you like me to get you to get that ball in the right spot, right? And that's where alignment sticks or some sort of aid can kick in that you just use as a double check once in a while because her perception was that the ball was actually pretty far forward and it was it was pretty far back. It wasn't behind center, but it was basically right in the middle of her stance, which is too far back. Yeah. Um, so her perception was off for whatever reason that happens over time. You need some method of just constantly going back. Fundamentals are, you know, are my, are my hips square? 
are, is my grip correct? You know, and I use things for grip, you know, basically, um, depending on the player, you know, a lot of times it's what part of the graphics or the writing on your, on your actual grip can you see? So if your right hand grips gets, gets too weak, gets wrapped around to the left too much, you're covering up all the writing on the grip that I find tends to be a closing action, right? It tends to be a closing mm -hmm. motion with the grip over your right hand over the top. So I'm like, if I can't see any of the writing on the top of your grip, your right hand's probably too weak. You probably have to get it more behind the shaft. So I just try to find something that the player can themselves monitor because, you know, very, very few pro golfers are having a set of eyes on them constantly week in and week out, other than maybe some swing coaches. Putting coaches really doesn't happen, right? Putting coaches are once a month if you're lucky. Um, so those are, those are the basic things. Um, just fundamentally checking, you know, setup, stance, uh, head position. Does it look straight or not? Are you hitting your line or not? Um, uh, elevated strings for start line can hit your line or not. Um, elevated string can also help with the perception. So if you're, if you get the string going right out to your aim and you're looking up and your eyes are kind of tracking a different direction than then you're, you got to train yourself how to look up a little better too. That's another thing I've seen with quite a few players recently is when they look up, they don't look down their putter face. They look at an angle either right or left of their putter face and that screws up your aim also. So, uh, but it's gotta be something easy. It's gotta be something that they can do without a coach. That's, that's the big thing I think. Well, isn't that master coaching when the player becomes the coach? Yeah. It's also when you stop getting paid. <laughs> well, yeah. that's it the, makes uh, you a much the... better coach, but it also makes you a much poor coach. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. That's why, you know, I work at a seven 11 at night now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's why we're doing this out of our house. <laughs> that's right. No, I, I think, uh, I, I think these are all really good tips and ideas and I'm, I'm going to hit you with a question, um, that I got, um, when we put the Instagram message out there. Uh, but before I get to that, I know inside of game forge, you had a call with a player that's, Everybody would know who it is. I don't think we'll say the name, but how their perception game forge was able to show him a little nugget that they were kind of feeling, but they didn't have the numbers until you showed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it was the first kind of game forge call I had with them. Uh, very, very top 10, in the world player, very top 10, very good player, top 10, in the world player, maybe higher. Um, Overall, really good dispersions with his approach shots. Um, but he was like, yeah, I just feel like sometimes my my short wedges aren't great. And so he pulled up his dispersion graph. And basically across the board, he was a 5% dispersion, except for 80 to 90 yards, it jumps like 15%. And so there's this big red spike between 80 and 90. And he goes, saw it, he goes, that's exactly it. He goes, that's exactly what I'm sensing that I think is happening but it was really great to be able to have the hard data for the last six months or a year and say, no, that's, that is, I know you're, you think that's what's happening, but let me show you how bad it is. It's three times worse than all your other clubs. Now, a lot of times that help that happens in, um, in between distances. So almost every time I've seen that with a tour player, they're in between clubs and it's usually only one or two little spikes where their dispersions are just get way off, but they get in between clubs. They're not quite sure which way to go. And, but the problem is he had a lot of shots in that range. Yeah. Right. That was kind of a short layup distance and so he had quite a few of them over the season and and it was costing him a lot of impositions and a lot of missed greens frankly um so having the data to back it up as a coach you know if you just go to him and say you know i think your sand wedge needs to get better from the fairway he might be like okay maybe but if you can have the hard data and go no let me show you exactly what it looks like it's it's basically indisputable at that point and if you can show him the effect the effect it had on his overall opportunities for that time period 
it's a real easy sell to get a player to go, okay, you're right. I really need to go address this and fix it. And so that was, that was, that was, that was a good moment because, you know, what we were showing, sometimes it's a big surprise. We're like, wow, I had no idea. And sometimes they go, yep. I, I thought that was maybe the case. And we're like, no, it's, it's a hundred percent the case. Like yeah. go work on it. And that, well, I think that's our prelude to a future podcast of, no of lessons learned from lessons inside of game forge. And there's a lot. I have there's learned dramatic amounts here in the last five years. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so uh, uh, here's the here's the question we got uh, from Golfer Down South on Instagram. He asked, how can I win events? He plays a lot of amateur events. How can I win events when I'm not a 300 bomber off the tee box? So he was kind of looking for training and understanding on how he can capitalize his game to have a chance to compete when he's not the longest uh, driver of the golf ball. Is that for me? Yeah, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah. So if you're if you're if you're average or below average um, driving distance, you've got a couple options. One one which is harder to do is you got to be more accurate with your approach shots, and that's that's frankly a little harder to do. And I do know some some golfers who are below average who make a lot of money playing pro golf, being below average distance, a lot a lot of money. Now, what do they all do that I've seen in common? They have great wedges and great putters. Yeah. Right. So, so you're, you're going to be, your approaches are going to be farther away. So you're going to miss more greens or your proximities are not going to be as close. So you've got to be really tight with your wedges and you've got to convert at a higher rate. And all three or four that I'm thinking of right now do exactly that. They're great wedge players and they're great putters. Yeah. They got to be capitalists when they have opportunities. They must, they must convert where, you know, where you kind of get the other guy that might have a ton of opportunities because he just bombs it, hits a bunch of cl- shots a lot closer. He doesn't have to be that good with the putter. But if you're only, you know, if you're managing four to five, maybe six opportunities per round, you've got to be converting, you know, the, the, you know, the number, let's say the average field shooting even, you know, we got to get a couple shots ahead of that. You know, where, where are we going to find four or five birdies around on top of what we need to? Again, it goes back to a very simple thing. If you can't increase opportunities, which a lot of times when you're not very long, creating opportunities is difficult. It's really yeah. taking advantage on the putting green. And then if you can't get to par fives, you just got to be a great wedge player. Zach Johnson comes to mind is not yeah. the longest guy. But, you know, when he won the Masters, he put on an absolute show with, with the wedges. Yeah, and putted well. He's a good putter. And putted well. Well, you can't win the Masters if you don't putt well. Well, true, true <laughs> that. Um, but it, but on the other hand, you get some really long players who are okay wedge and putters, and they can make a lot of money too. So, oh, yeah. One thing we've learned with GameForge is if you have a weakness somewhere, you better offset it with a strength somewhere else. Like, you yep. can't be weak in your left arm and in your right arm. You better be really bulked up in your on your other side if you got a weakness somewhere. So. Yeah. Um, you know, distance is a harder thing to improve. Like you can improve distance, but it takes time. You're not going to improve it in a week or a month, generally speaking, unless you have a major mechanical problem that's being fixed. Um, so that's something that people develop over a year, two years, three years. You know, they're adding, they're adding muscle, they're adding speed, they're improving their 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 launch dynamics, and they're getting longer. But even there, most people are only gaining ten yards. Twenty is gaining a lot. You know what I mean? So you're not gaining a ton of distance if you're naturally not hitting it very far. But what you can do very quickly, get in there and figure out why are, why are my wedge proximities not close enough? Why am I not saving par enough? Why can't, why would I short side myself? Can I not stop the ball at the hole? 
Why am I three putting too much from 40 feet? Why am I missing six footers for par saves like that? That's, that's not the hardest fix in the world. And you need to double down in that area. That's right. We, we, we say that, you know, to be, if you're on tour, you know, two under makes you best in the world. How do you average two under? There's a lot of different little, little components you can create. Well, you know, you can't make many bogeys and you got to make enough birdies to get to that number. Again, it's not rocket science. It's just golf. <laughs> it's just golf, right? Right. right. It's just golf. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and 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 you know, and from an amateur level, what you need to go and have a look at is what does it take to win the venture in, and work back from there. How many birdies do I need to make? How many bogeys? Come, what's my net score? You know, PJ Tour, you got to shoot. You know, you got to make you got to make twenty to twenty five birdies on PJ Tour, and a lot of mini tours, probably even more. Yeah. Right. But amateur events, maybe you can go shoot, you know, three under and win. Maybe you can shoot even and win. Um, but so, so you have to you have to set a goal for understanding in this level of golf I'm playing. What does a winning score look like? And then make sure you're designing your game around that. If it's shooting par. All right. Well, you don't need to make a ton of birdies, but you better have a good short game and be scrambling at least as well as the birdies you're making. So three birdies, three bogeys is the standard way to shoot par. If you have three birdies and six bogeys, all right, you missing too many greens, your wedges aren't good enough. Yep. Again, it's it's just golf, but it, the, the the challenge is is distance is a piece, and the you know, I think the golf industry does a really good job of highlighting how important distance is. But you know, we talked in past podcasts about you know if you pick up a certain amount of distance, you can't lose this much in, in actual dispersion or actually quality of, of missing fairways and things along that lines. So you know understand who you are as a golfer, figure out what needs to happen and then build the game around that. If, if your goal is not to play professional, my goal is to be the best club amateur. Well, what is the club pro usually, you know, when, when the member member goes on, who wins, what's the score now, can I build a game to compete with that score? Um, and, and I think a lot of times what you'll come to find out is um, being a good golfer. If you know your target and you set it, you can build a game to get there. Um, so my challenge to anybody would be what level am I at? Where do I really want to be? And let's build the game to, to fit that goal. So, uh, that was our first great podcast starting, um, the new year here. Uh, first well, off, we got to thank everybody. Did we do nothing in January? We took the entire month off. It felt good. Dang, I was getting tired of you. Good, actually, I was getting tired of you. So having a month off was a good time. Yeah. So I, I think uh, the the really cool parts about last year, and we kind of talked this in the sum up show, is you know we had really good numbers, uh, well over twelve thousand downloads, which is fascinating to me. Um, Mark and I did some I did some research on podcasts the other day, and we blow the average podcast out of the water on on actual listeners. So thank you all for spending time. Uh, we encourage you to keep pushing this out to other people, other coaches, other players that might find. Uh, our conversations enlightening, or at least you can laugh at us either way. It's all good, but we want to appreciate, uh, we appreciate everything and all your time. And we look forward to keep bringing you more shows. I know in the future, we're going to have a recruiting piece coming up for juniors. Um, we're going to have a special guest coming up in a couple weeks. It looks like maybe from the tour, which will be kind of, it'll be an interesting interview for us. We'll try to find our P's and Q's and we got a lot of cool topics coming in your way. Uh, so I want to thank everybody. And again, uh, thank you for joining the hunt. You want to close it out with anything, Mark? Yeah. Thanks for everything. Keep, keep your questions coming at us because you know, we're, we, 
we think about this and talk about this stuff all the time. And sometimes there's some really um, interesting answers and questions that y'all have that we don't even consider because we're just too close to the data, frankly. Um, so let us know, hit us up on Instagram, hit us up on email, hit us up however you want. But we love your information, your questions coming in so that we can really attack it. Um, and if you give us a little lead time, even if it's a really kind of difficult data question, we can usually go and find the data to back it up and give you the answer on that. So, so feel free to hit us up on what are you, Instagram? Is that the way, best way, yeah, Brian? I'd say Instagram DM is probably our biggest. Open to our DMs. On the DMs, that's right. Yeah. Insta chat, my favorite. Insta chat on the interweb. Interweb. <laughs>